The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. I'm so honored to be here uh, to the mayor, Mayor Shore. I'm honored to be here in the beautiful city of Lansing uh, to the Juneteenth Committee. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Um, to the Broncos in the house, the Broncos. Um, to any fair state folks, that was my undergrad. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> um, to Lucy, thank you very much for organizing such a beautiful day-to-day uh, -day for us. This year, uh, the Black History 101 Mobile Museum has been on a national tour uh, that started off in January. Um, my good friend, Dumini DePores here, has traveled many of these spaces with me across uh, America. We've been to about 15 states, and I believe this is about the 57th stop this year. We've been, we've been putting work in. Um, for, do, uh, for you all who have had the opportunity to walk through this exhibit, uh, those first two tables you'll see on display some very ugly reminders of um, black history starting in the transatlantic slave trade era through the Jim Crow era. And some of this material is, is horrifying, it's offensive, but it's real. And I think one of the uh, strengths of this work is the honesty in it. Uh, and with this being Juneteenth, um, this is a time for us to be honest. It's, it's good to have a celebration, for sure, but what is a celebration if we're not educating people on this real history, right? So it's in this, in this spirit that I want to uh, start this talk off today. And um, getting ready for this presentation, I wanted to reflect upon my early beginnings with this work, all right? And my work started um, actually 31 years ago on the uh, campus of Ferris State University. I had just taken the class with a sociologist by the name of Dr. David Pilgrim. Dr. David Pilgrim started the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia on the campus of Ferris State. Um, and every week he would bring in a different Jim Crow-related artifact and have us engage in deep and hard conversations about race in America. So it was, it was really in his class where this idea of at least collecting artifacts started. All right, um, after taking this class, uh, it was about spring break time, and me and some buddies went down, uh, drove from Big Rapids, Michigan, down to Daytona Beach. You know, this is, no, I was in my 20s doing what college students do. Um, but it was my first time going into the South. I had heard about the South before, but never experienced the South. I was on I-75 driving down uh, with friends, and we stopped in Tennessee and stopped at a gas station. And we walked into a gas station, and this right here was in the gas station. There were shelves and shelves of this type of material being sold, not as antiques. These were not antiques. These were being mass produced at the time in 1991, all right? So if you can imagine the horror, the anger, uh, the offense I felt seeing this, this ended up becoming the fuel of the fire, understanding that these types of things are still being made in 1991. So this was ended up being the very first artifact, uh, which ended up becoming eventually the Black History 101 Mobile Museum. But this experience was not 
the, the most horrific experience on that trip. The next day was even worse, all right? So I'm going to share a picture with you all, but I think, again, we need to be serious and be honest about what this history is. This is 1991. I walked into a gift shop on the beach with friends, and this T-shirt was for sale. So when we think about 1991, and what's going on in 1991? We have Rodney King situation going on in 1991. We have these white supremacist groups responding to something in 1991 by producing this. Uh, this is also the time of the MLK Day holiday finally, finally becoming popular in America. Although the law was passed in 83, not all the states celebrated, just like right now, not all the states are celebrating Juneteenth. Um, but this is a reality. So Arizona was one of the last states to honor Dr. King with a holiday. But it was Public Enemy, the hip-hop group Public Enemy, that wrote a song called By the Time I Get to Arizona, right? And so the Klan or the white supremacist groups are responding to that time by putting that target over King's head as well, because that's the logo of, of Public Enemy. But this here, again, became that fuel to the fire and that passion that led to the Black History 101 Mobile Museum. Dr. King said, who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetuate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. So much that we can learn from those words of Dr. King. I, we uh, just recently came back from Wisconsin. I was in an antique shop in Wisconsin and picked up this um, sheet music. It says, down south, everybody's happy, all right? And so we know that uh, that's not true, right? We know that this is propaganda, um, giving people the idea that slavery was okay, everybody was happy. But if that were the case, then we would not have chains at the beginning of that exhibit. We would not have a whip, right? Those are reminders of what the reality was. That's why it's important to collect artifacts, primary source material, all right, because it disrupts and uh, and dismantles these ideas, these falsehoods about um, slavery being a good thing. Fast forward, <clears throat> of course, this is the uh, Detroit River. It's, um, if you look carefully at it, it's kind of frozen over. I took this picture when I was doing a, a lecture at the University of Windsor, and it reminded me of how I got to Michigan, how I got to Detroit. My great, great, great grandparents left Virginia plantations via the Underground Railroad and came up through uh, Michigan and came up to the Detroit River and crossed the Detroit River and landed in an area called Dresden, Ontario. And so when we talk about Juneteenth and this being a holiday, my introduction to these type of holidays came through my family, celebrating Emancipation Days in Canada, all right? Uh, so although Juneteenth starts in Texas, we've been celebrating our emancipation in many different ways around the country for many, many years now. So my introduction again was through Emancipation Days. These are my great-great-grandparents here, uh, Thomas and Harriet Milburn. Um, my great-great-grandmother, Harriet Milburn, it was her father, George Solomon, who made that trek via the Underground Railroad. All right, and made it to Dresden, which was also the site of Josiah Henson, who people know as um, 
from the Uncle Tom Cabin's um, fictional story. All right, it was based upon uh, his life. My grandparents were immigrants to America from Canada, all right, and gave birth to my beautiful mother here who's in the front row. <laughs> and also I have to recognize my brother here, David Bill. But getting back to the idea of holidays, and as hard as this material is to look at, it's important to note that we've always resisted these types of ideas of being normal in America. We've always resisted, we've always critiqued it. If we go back and look at what Frederick Douglass said when he was asked to speak at a 4th of July celebration, he asked the question, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? Think about that for a moment. He said, I answer, a day that reveals to him more than any other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty which he is the constant victim. This is the 1800s here. This is Frederick Douglass. So when we look at these very ugly artifacts here, and this exhibit here is called the Signature Series. It's called the Signature Series because as you walk through, you'll see documents that are signed by Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, George um, Mary McLeod Bethune, Carter G. Woodson, Paul Robeson, um, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, and so on and so forth, all the way up to uh, Colin Kaepernick and Lauren Hill and other folks. Um, but we've always resisted this. And I think for us, it's important that we remember that struggle and that resistance and that critique and always demanding more from the system, the system who we believe in these core democratic values. And we have to call people back to these core democratic values that we claim to believe in in America. All right, so I want to take just a few minutes and talk about um, the Michigan connection to black holidays that we celebrate in America. This is something that, as Michiganders, we should be celebrating and should be proud of. All right, when we think about Juneteenth, we should not think about Juneteenth without giving credit to the great former Congresswoman and Detroit City Councilwoman, Barbara Rose Collins. She's the one who gave us the initial bill for the Juneteenth celebration back in the uh, early 1990s, all right? That bill didn't pass then, but it passed the House, but it didn't pass the Senate. But we have to remember the contribution that she made. It was the Republic of New Africa who had the noble, notable members of Imari Obadeli and Attorney Guy Obadeli and Dr. Betty Shabazz and Robert F. Williams and his wife, Mabel Williams and Chokwe uh, Lumumba and Milana Karinga, who this organization here produced some of our great minds in Michigan, but it was Milana Karinga who was one of the original founders of the Republic of New Africa who gave us the Kwanzaa celebration, all right? And I remember being a, um, a high schooler at Mumford High School in Detroit and um, hearing about the great attorney Chokwale Lumumba because his sister, Shoshana Shakur, was my English teacher. And I learned the Nguzu Saba at Montford High School back then. So we celebrated Kwanzaa, and Detroit has a deep history of celebrating Kwanzaa for many, many years now. In 1995, there was a call for one million 
black men to go to Washington, D.C. under the guise of atonement, reconciliation, and responsibility. A beautiful day that has been written out of the history books or has not been written about period in the history books, but it was that day. One million men came to Washington, D.C. And you see them there, and you see another picture of a, uh, of a what they call the big lie, all right? But, or uh, where the lie might have started, all right? But again, it's important for us to create spaces and, and collect material that puts history in its proper context. This day inspired so many black men inspired me. It was at the Black History 101 Mobile Museum when I came, uh, at the um, Million Man March when I came back to Detroit and started to get involved in grassroots organizations that this idea of the Black History 101 Mobile Museum came about. There are individuals like this gentleman right here, a very young Barack Obama who was in the crowd that day. I, uh, he might not talk about it a whole lot right now, but he was there. And it was young hip hop artists like this who were in the crowd that day. Um, we see Alfonso Roberto, people you know, remember him as Carlton from the Fresh Prince. We see Bell Bib DeVoe. We see uh, Sean Combs, or back then he was called Puff Daddy. We see um, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. But what's really important about this picture is the background. Look at the men going all the way past the uh, George Washington Monument past the Lincoln Monument, and then you see them right behind Will Smith going down Pennsylvania Avenue. This day is not talked about not giving respect, and we have to give respect due, all right? If nothing else, let's talk about the women who addressed us that day. Maya Angelou, Rosa Parks, Dr. Betty Shabazz, and Dr. Dorothy Height, all right? When we go back and think about the March on Washington, all right, 1963, Dr. King, did you all know that no woman spoke at the March on Washington? Dorothy Height was one of the organizers of the March on Washington and did not have a platform to speak that day. But she spoke to over one million black men that day. And we went back and we got organized and we participated and we changed lives and it impacted us in many, many powerful ways. So we have to learn about the Million Man March. And the holiday that came out of the Million Man March is the Day of Atonement, all right? That's still celebrated by many of us who were there that day. Getting back to I Have a Dream, 1963. In this Detroit connection, it was the great Barry Gordy who recorded that speech at Cobo Hall on June 23, 1963, um, where Dr. King gave the original version or early version of the I Have a Dream speech. And this uh, photograph here spe um, features uh, Barry Gordy, Dr. King, and the great Lena Horne in Detroit um, shortly after that. And when we talk about Dr. King and we talk about the MLK Day holiday, it's important that we celebrate John Conyers, who four days after the King assass assassination, he wrote the initial bill for the King holiday. It took from 1968 all the way up to 1983 for that to become a holiday. And if it wasn't for Detroiters like Stevie Wonder, and if it wasn't for the Jackson Five and Michael Jackson, if it wasn't for Harry Belafonte, we, not, we would not have 
the king holiday. It was their sacrifices. It was them traveling around the country, raising the consciousness of the uh, American people to prepare us for having a day that celebrated uh, the legacy and the life of Dr. King. And I'm going to end on these last couple slides. This year, in April, was the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball. This document that's on this table here documents this uh, piece of signed by Harry Belafonte, Jackie Robinson, and Sidney Poitier. Um, and these three men could have easily sat comfortable in their respective fields, but they knew living in Jim Crow America and having the privilege and having the platform that they had, that they had to stand up and make a difference and open up doors for, of opportunities for people. All right, and so what they did in 1959 was raise funds to bring African students to America for a college education. From 1959 up into 1963, they brought hundreds of students to America to attend college. And many of those students went back to Africa who were, who, uh, Africa, who at that time was experiencing this African um, independence movement where you had these um, countries for the first time electing democratic governments, right? And they had to have people who, went, who could go back and make a contribution um, with their college educations to these new countries. Now, one of the students who came to America in 1959, he went to the University of Hawaii where he studied economics. While he was on campus, like many college students, he found, uh, he met a young lady, fell in love, got married, and in 1961, they gave birth to a young boy, and they named that boy Barack Obama. If it wasn't for, <laughs> give it up. If it wasn't for the great Harry Belafonte, who's still with us at, 90, at 95, who has done more work in terms of civil rights and human rights than any of us combined, um, and we have to read his story as well. So Harry Belafonte, if it wasn't for him, Jackie Robinson, and the great Sidney Poitier, uh, we would not have our very first black president in the form of Barack Obama. So let's give it up for them. So with that said, I think I want to end on that positive note and uh, really just um, want to thank everyone again for making this day happen and uh, open up the floor to any questions that you all might have. So thank you again, Mayor. Director of Community Outreach for the Black History 101 Mobile Museum. Been working with Dr. Khaled El Hakim for 16 years now, in this capacity for sure. Um, we take you on a walk through history with sometimes 150 to 300 pieces of a larger 10,000 piece collection. Uh, we'll, we'll take you from the transatlantic slave trade right to the hip hop era, which we are in the middle of right now. Uh, hopefully that one will be ongoing. Um, we wish to take history, uh, you know, that's usually black and white on a page of a book, somewhere you have to go to a museum, you have to go somewhere to experience it. And just for a brief moment, we bring it right to you, to schools, to universities, to establishments, to City Hall as we are today. Uh, so it brings it closer, it makes it more personal. Um, 
you can touch something that changed the trajectory of a human being, like a slave shackle that someone wore. And I guarantee you that the day a person got to wear that one, it changed their trajectory and their opinion about a lot of things. It made, made it much more real. It makes it much more real for a human being now to be able to touch it and imagine what someone goes through to feel the weight of that shackle. It is about education, bringing people together and making the past much more relevant, not, not just something in passing for our day in school. You, you tend to remember the experiences you have here. You know, when you see a, a actual hood that someone from the Ku Klux Klan wore, and imagine the terrible thoughts they thought inside that hood and the things that through those eye holes they saw. You can see that it's real. It's not just something made up, something on television that's intangible. I'd like to thank you all for taking time out of your life, our finite time on the planet you shared with us so that we might bring our experience a little close to you because black history is world history, is global history. And once you get a little further into it, it is universal history. Um, I should encourage you all to, if you have an opportunity to see the Black History 101 Mobile Museum in person, to come down, take a look. It'll open your mind. It'll, it might change your perspective. Um, it'll certainly alter the narrative you've been told. You can begin to write your own story and feel your own feelings instead of what somebody has suggested you ought to feel. That's all we ask, is that you get in touch with yourself and then, and then base your judgments. I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, uhuru.